You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Hey there folks, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and if this is your first time listening, I would like to apologize in advance. This is not my normal voice. I have some kind of sore throat, strep throat, something of that matter, and it really hurts to talk. So this is going to be a very, very short intro. Luckily, I recorded this episode yesterday, kind of before this whole thing started, so I still had a voice for the interview, but... Um, real quick, I do want to throw out there, uh, just because I know so many, so many people have been asking and praying, uh, I did recover the truck that last week's episode was about, my dad's truck, they did find it, uh, I flew to Denver on Sunday, was able to recover the truck on Monday, along with a little bit of my gear, um, I was able to get back my video camera, my spotting scope, my Stone Glacier pack, um, and a few other little odd and knickknacks like my uh, my shooting sticks and a few things like that. So uh, the thieves still got away with a whole bunch of stuff, um, but obviously not quite as bad as it could have been. So just wanted to update you guys on that real quick. Um, this week uh, I'm t- talking to Nick Otto. Nick is a, a another Sportsman's Empire Nation contributor. Uh, Nick is a well. We get into it. You'll you'll hear a lot about Nick. He's a well, excuse me, an adult, an adult onset hunter. So he started hunting later in life. And, uh, I think for a lot of us, especially kind of in the South where hunting's, uh, just such a deep tradition part of life, a lot of people kind of start out hunting and then try to figure out the food part afterwards. Nick's the opposite of that. Nick was kind of a foodie. He was really into, uh, just, you know, knowing where his food came from, the health side of it. And because of that, he got into hunting. So, um, really, really great conversation. Nick is extremely knowledgeable. We go into a little bit of everything. Um, we just talk about, you know, game meat. We talk about, uh, you know, how to cook it, how to handle it a little bit. Um, I, I, I feel like I did a terrible job of hosting because I just, I was so, um, I don't want to say ill-prepared, just like, I just don't know that much about this stuff. Uh, so that's why I wanted to have Nick on in the first place. 
Nick knocked it out of the park. Um, I will say we had one or two, uh, a couple audio glitches. So between that and my voice, I apologize because this is just not going to be the most audibly pleasing uh, episode you've ever listened to. So we do get the mic situation figured out around the nine minute mark. So it does improve as it goes on, if that helps. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Um, I do really appreciate it. One of these days, uh, you know, the whole truck thing's behind me. Hopefully I can get this sickness behind me and we're going to get back to like a normal everyday programming type stuff. So thank you guys for bearing with me the last few weeks as I've been traveling and dealing with the truck and, and sickness and everything like that. So um, I do want to shout out my uh, my partners real quick. Arrowhead Land Company, look them up if you're wanting to buy or sell land in Oklahoma. Private Water Fishing, a subscription-based fishing program. Uh, you can get a nice, nice uh, private lake all to yourself. And, of course, Deer Lab. Uh, organize your trail camera photos. Learn about your bucks. Um, use code Oklahoma Outdoors for 20% off. Uh, I apologize to my partners for not giving you f- your full, whole, long uh, time slot there, but that's the, about the best I can do this week. So. so, again, thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, go look Nick up after this because he has tons of other great content. And, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Here it is right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. And today we have one of my Sportsman's Empire brothers. We got Mr. Nick Otto. How you doing, Nick? Oh, doing great. Doing great. I would say cheers, but um, I've already finished my cocktail <laughs> for the evening. Uh-huh. My wife has really gotten into being a mixologist, and so she's doing this 12 days of cocktails as we go through the month of December. Um, it's not a 12 days straight. I think I would develop a problem uh, <laughs> at that point, but she brought me one. I haven't even got the details on it, but yeah, I was cutting up deer, and here comes my boy with a cocktail in his hand, and he's like, Mom said this is a fireside, and you need to drink it. And it had rosemary as a garnish, like a fresh piece of rosemary, mm-hmm. uh, really heavy on the grapefruit end of things. <laughs> um, the past couple ones she's done has been a gin. This must have been like this must have been a, uh, a vodka one because it didn't hit me <laughs> with all that juniper. But anyway, <laughs> man, it was a good evening. I can yeah. tell you that. But between how you just described your wife and what I know about you as far as the culinary side, like I just imagine every single dinner y'all have is just this crazy masterpiece we we do put on a good facade like don't <laughs> look behind the curtain there are nights where it is shoot we are running from basketball to wrestling and we're running from one thing to the next and easy mac is in our pantry <laughs> and chicken nuggets is not unfamiliar in our freezer like we are just like every one of you guys here but when we get the opportunity to say hey listen we we need to eat better than than out of the freezer as far as like the ready-made meals we need to make our own stuff so mm-hmm. yeah we try to when we get the opportunity take it and fully grasp it awesome awesome i love it well nick before we go too far here uh just in case somebody's listening to the show and they don't know who you are or not familiar with the show uh why don't you just give us a quick little rundown of who you are real quick yeah my name's nick otto um i'm a late onset hunter i picked it up right after college Uh, Finally got some free time and really started looking at what I was putting on the table uh, for not only myself, but now at that point, my new wife. And how am I going to sustain this family? How am I going to 
uh, power this family with the food that I bring to the table. Um, started out on a charboiled grill, got really excited about grilling outside, and from there it just ventured out into, man, can I be a locavore? Can I find all of my food within 100 miles of myself and get to know ranchers, get to know processors, get to know the slaughtermen, and just get a chance to be really entwined into that food community. And then my buddies took me hunting. And the ability to do it all myself was incredible. Uh, that first year uh, wasn't very successful, but then uh, the second year that I, I went out there with a bow, I was able to put down a little four-point buck. In fact, he's, uh, he's over my shoulder right now. And that little four-point buck kind of started it all because when I watched him drop, he gave three kicks. It I was hooked right away because the meat that I got off of him, yeah, it, a lot of it went to burger. I was learning <laughs> just like everybody else. Uh, but he sparked that interest. It sparked something in me where it said, hey, why don't I take this from locavore to absolutely pursuing it myself and shortening that food chain from the animal to myself at that point. And so that's where Huntivore was born. Um, I had gone from wild chef episode to wild chef episode from podcast to podcast and i thought you know what uh if i keep searching for this i can't find what i'm looking for i'm gonna be that so that's where huntivore really took off as being an outlet for utilizing and consuming our wild game and as a chance to celebrate our hunting and fishing through those two pursuits man that's awesome just listen to that like my my journey is almost the opposite so uh, I didn't really grow up in a hunting family, but I was always obsessed with it. Uh, my dad did some bird hunting. That's kind of how I got introduced to it. And for me, like I killed my first deer and then I was like, oh, now what? Like I like it was, you know, you know, I was I was like 15 at the time. And that was like, the, the whole meat thing was like an afterthought. Um, but it's just kind of in the last few years, you know, meat eater had a lot to do with it. I think they've inspired a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm very excited to have you on because the last few years I've really learned that you can do it right and you can make this stuff very, very edible. And so, uh, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, we, we were both on the deer camp, uh, podcast and you were talking about like some mayonnaise on steak on deer steak. And I, Oh, I was cringing. I'm, I'm not a condiments guy. I, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I'm, I'm extremely, uh, an extremely picky eater. And so, uh, but so yeah, but I'm excited. Uh, and I think a lot of people are too. And so, so yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm gonna try not to talk too awful much. Like I want you to to inform people and do your thing. So, uh, so yeah. So <clears throat> you mentioned you don't want to spend too much time with this, and I completely understand. But uh, just kind of a, a brief little basic thing. You know, what are what are some of the basics people should know when they go to handle wild game versus like you know the beef that they go get from the store? Um. So yeah, I want to skip past a little bit of field care just because. Um. You know, when, when you take something in, that's what you put on your table. This is this is your meat. You're not going to turn this deer in and then get better back. You're going to get back what you take to the processor. You're going to take in like what you've been hanging uh, up and going to be able to process yourself on whichever avenue you take there. So if you do a poor job in the field care or you're not quick enough to get it to the processor because you want to drive around to a few of your, you know, the, the watering holes and, you know, stop to get gas and just drop the tailgate to show it off to everybody. You know, that's, that's time you're spending getting the glory there and it's going to then 
come out in a sour, gamey taste as people will proclaim it. And that is a that is a soapbox of mine that we are we are eating a wild animal. It is not beef. It is not lamb. It is it cannot be compared to any other piece of domestic animal that's out there. Like this is its own creature. Essentially, this thing has lived without needing us. Granted, I mean, yes, okay. It uh, it survives in our ag fields. We do set up uh, food plots. We do provide mineral. Yeah, we're, we're trying to grow bigger and better deer, and we're trying to keep the herd healthy. But at the same time, that deer doesn't exactly need you. It can survive on forage. It can outrun coyotes. It can avoid predators. And, in fact, it it's so successful that numbers keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And then that's where we come in. We have to hunt these animals. We have to bring the numbers down so they don't eat themselves out of house and home. So when you are presented with this gift, you've put it down. I, I take true reverence when I walk up either on a, on a kill that I've gotten, whether it's with a bow, whether it's with a gun, whether it's huge or small, like huge reverence for this animal, because now I'm blessed with, not, I mean, I had to buy a tag, but at the same time, like essentially I've been gifted this a bounty and I didn't have to do anything for it other than go shoot it. And so I feel like that sort of reverence towards what you've killed and what you've been able to, to harvest. I say, I mean, I'm not going to shy around the word killed. That's exactly what we're doing. But then there's that second part. There's that second stage to where now it becomes the harvest. I was working on the neck section tonight. How many necks? get thrown out of white-tailed deer how many ribs get just discarded a because of uh just not knowing how to clean them out effectively or at the same time just i'm too tired and i don't want to deal with it like we got it we want to be able to if as long as we're doing this process as long as we're going to be hunters we need to take full advantage of what we're doing so yeah there's my my soapbox as far as <laughs> we want to be able to glean everything that we can from these amazing creatures because i want to continue to pursue them i want to continue to hunt them and at the same time like i put one down i want to get as much meat as i can off of that if that means cleaning between each of the ribs i got three young boys and one's a One's in third grade, one's in kindergarten, and one's in preschool, and I'm already starting to see the appetite that is coming down <laughs> the pipeline. We put three, de I put three deer away this year, and I imagine we're going to go through those three deer pretty quick, and it's mm -hmm. just going to go faster and faster each year. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's awesome. Looking forward to. I got a got a little five month at home, home so uh, looking forward to those days. But uh, yeah, man, that's that's awesome. I was just um, I was just this last weekend followed the rabbit trail. Was, I was with my brother-in-law's father-in-law. Uh, he had bought a piece of property down here and uh, you know, none of them had ever hunted and stuff. And so they asked if I would come out and kind of show them the ropes. It was the last weekend of our rifle season. And so I went out and uh, helped them harvest two deer. You know, the first one I, I took my time kind of surgically, you know, gutted it and everything um, let them see it all. And, uh, one of them, you know, had to take a knee there for a little bit, which I understand, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and then, you know, we hung it up, skinned it all and stuff. And I was trying to show them all the, and it, again, you know, I'm no pro, uh, but he was trying to kind of show them all the, the muscle groups and kind of compare it to beef, you know, like this would be your, uh, you know, your ribeye and all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, for lunch, 
I uh, I cut up a little bit of the back strap and throwed it on the, the fryer and and I could tell like uh, I could see the hesitation like like I you know I think all of them had tried venison before it it wasn't necessarily like the the venison it was just like they just watched this thing you know perish and they watched it get cut up and so uh yeah it was very interesting but uh man I mean like like just like yourself there's tons of people getting into it. Um, there's lots of people getting into it for the right reasons. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited, but, uh, man, like, where do you want to go from here? Like where, how do you want to educate people? I feel like I'm doing a terrible job as a host, but I I just really want to get the most out of this. Gotcha. Let me put my, yeah, I'll take off my, my hunting hat and I'll throw on my educator hat. Um, when, when I approach, when I, when I approach using the animal, um, one thing that, that I've, I've learned actually through processors and then just as much information I've been able to glean either from a book or from uh, YouTube is that uh, muscles are used for different reasons. And some of them are powerhouse muscles. Some of them are stabilizing muscles. And some of them are going to... Uh, basically control some of the inside functions of the animal so each has its own kind of particular use and i say this out and and as people are hearing this they're like well duh that's that's how like the legs are not going to do the same thing as necessarily as the backstrap but then at the same time like well then let's take that when we when we start to use our venison, when we start to use the pieces of the venison, let's use it according to how it has been used in the field. There's a term that uh, that butchers will use and of like tenderness and flavor that both of those go down the further you get away from the horn and the hoof. So again, they're talking about a beef at this point where your most flavorful pieces because of the amount of work that's going on because of the amount of nutrient that has to go to those specific muscles is going to be housed in these areas. So you're going to find a shank has far more venison flavor than your backstrap and probably your most mild piece of meat and tenderest is going to be those inside tenderloins. Those are stabilizers. They kind of keep the animal in a straight line. Same thing with the backstraps. That's where you're going to find your milder flavors, and that's where you're going to find uh, your most tender cuts. But then beyond that, you work out away from that, and then you get into the hind legs, larger muscle groups, more work being done in those. You're going to have more sinew and more connective tissue, and so you're going to have to deal with a little more toothiness when you're using those muscles. Same thing with the shoulders. Now, shoulders, they... They offer more of a directional aspect, a lot of smaller muscles interconnected because they take much more than they do the backs. So now you have a little bit more addition, additional sinews. You have a little bit more additional silver skin. But at the same time, because the work, you get more enough venison flavor. You can't disguise that necessarily as much as you can with, uh, with some of the more milder cuts. And then we get down to the shanks. And the shanks, because they're like, I mean, pretty much the hoof is the only thing separating them from the ground. They're going to offer the most toughness. They're going to offer the most flavor. And actually, that, 
that's where my favorite cut comes from is where I get to actually taste the animal and that's so it's amazing what a slow braise and knowing that those sinews that collagen that uh connective tissue is going to dissolve and that meat is going to render itself so velvety smooth because I give it a braise for you know eight hours or I put it into uh a crock pot while I'm at work or in the case of folks that do have an instapot cutting those in half throwing those in the instapot and give that a good you know 70 60 to 70 minutes in a high pressure situation you pull those out and you turned what normally you could bounce off the ground into something that would just melt in your mouth and it's all that i can't treat it the same way that i would a backstrap Mm -hmm. now that's a very drastic situation that i'm going with but what that does for us is it gets us to identify muscle groups or particular muscles and use them according to their design rather than try to fit them into the box of, of the dish that we want to create. Um, so when I go to the freezer and I want to make something, I'm looking not to the cookbook first to then try to slot in a piece. I'm going to look to the freezer and I'm going to pull that out. And if it's a shoulder blade, well, we're going to have dinner with this tomorrow because it's going to take me a while to thaw this out, then be able to cook that down. But if I pull it out and it's, uh, you know, a neck roast or excuse me, not a neck roast, uh, a neck fillet. Uh, that's one of those little cuts that I have found. It's essentially the extension of the backstrap up into the neck portion of the deer. And if you follow that up and you're able to peel that out and hold that back, it's just essentially the backstrap with just a little bit of toothiness to it. And if you don't mind having just a little bit firmer meat, I tell you what, that is a gold nugget that I think people leave uh, either goes into grind or goes into uh, some sort of a crock pot, which is totally fine. But just to glean that piece out and then use it towards its function as opposed to like, well, grind it all and then we can make burgers. I mean, burgers are universal. Grind is amazing. uh, But at the same time, like, pulling out these little pieces here and there using them how they're supposed to be used. I think that's going to take a, let us take full advantage of whatever critter we're taking. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so interesting. Cause I, uh, I'm just sitting back here and, you know, thinking of every deer I've ever, you know, uh, cut up. And uh, yeah, so I remember I watched, I think it was outdoor edge has like a video, like a how to butcher video that I watched years and years ago. And, uh, you know, he was talking about like on the front shoulder, you know, I, and I've, I've heard this from processors, you know, processors are going to basically grind the entire front shoulder. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he's talking about all these little muscle groups and stuff. And if you really take the time and kind of like you said, like almost peel them away, like, you know, kind of follow those different little cuts and muscles and everything, uh, you can get some pretty incredible chunks of meat. But I also think like, again, just kind of going back through my memory of all these other times, uh, you know, keeping those basically like knowing what you have, you know, cause I remember, uh, I, I butchered an entire deer by myself one time. I mean, really took my time and cut out all those different muscles, but then I just kind of all, you know, I threw it all into different Ziploc bags and, and freeze dried it or whatever. And so, yeah, I just take out this random thing like, well, what do I want tonight? You know, do I want to cook this on the Traeger? Do I want to throw it on the stove? Um, so yeah, like, uh, uh, labeling and organizing, I could see really, plays a big part in this yes yes um also be very conscious 
of what you're labeling. Give yourself some notes on there too, is, you know, you're talking about a shoulder. Um, I'm writing on there, like even like which specific part of the shoulder, is it the blade? Is it the, is it the humerus bone or the, the mid mid roast as I end up calling that. Um, and if you happen to like, ah, shoot, how do I have, how do I need to cook that again? Uh, throw, throw a couple notes on there. I mean, you're, you're going to be there at the vac machine or you're going to be there rolling the butcher paper for, for a while. Um, also the other thing too, is keeping an eye on what the labeling is. If you forget which guy, uh, is labeling and you leave him alone for too long, he can get very creative with the labeling that happens. <laughs> uh, we just got done with a large group butchering party and there was a lot of things that were labeled. Yeah. Very very creatively. I think cat number three was uh, used a couple of times. Um, and there were also some very colorful things that got thrown out there that I cannot repeat on buddy's <laughs> podcast, but to have them go home and be like, this, this is not what is labeled here. Yeah. What, <laughs> what is this? Mm-hmm. So that's always one way to get back at a buddy. If you're helping him uh, put stuff on there, like, Oh yeah, just uh, yeah. Throw him an oddball question on or an oddball uh, <laughs> reference on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you you mentioned on the the deer camp one that it's it's something I discovered a few years ago and I've been definitely using my advantage. But uh, you were talking about leaving things in larger chunks. Um, you know, not like just sitting there and cutting all your steaks. You know, right off the bat. Uh, talk about that a little bit and kind of how you use those chunks. That's a, that's a great lead into. Because um, yeah, we just got done talking about like okay the the deer or even shooting in your neck of the woods, the wild hog mm-hmm. is made up of different muscle groups that do different jobs. As you go through and you're cutting these out, um, what's popular and what I find very effective for myself is called seam butchering. And that's where I'm using the actual natural seams. I'm not running things through a bandsaw. I'm not actually cutting bone most of the time. Time, most of the time what I'm doing is peeling meat over from the bone and then using the natural seams to break those apart. And that gives me these muscle groups. So if I take a hind leg, for example, I end up with a top row, a top round, a bottom round, an inside round, and a sirloin or a, a knuckle, basically. Uh, there's also a, a rump cap that I, I use on there. I, I cut that off and save that as a, a steak piece for myself. Um, but essentially, those five muscle groups make up the hind leg. And I will try to keep those muscle groups whole for, just as we're saying, uh, when it comes to wanting to cook those pieces of meat, if the larger piece of meat that you get or you're using, you have more control of the amount of energy that's going into that. You have more leeway of not overdoing it than would a steak that you pre-cut. So when guys get uh, medallions made or they get their backstrap butterflied all the way out and they end up throwing that on a super hot grill because they want to get a char on there, I mean, we're talking seconds. We're talking, you know, 15, 20 seconds that if you're not paying attention, bam, that thing is gone already to gray all the way through. You're chewy. And then that's where we need the barbecue sauce to be ladled on to everything at that point. Whereas if you take that same backstrap and keep it at six inches long, go into a slower style of cooking, I end up using, or I'll go indirect on my charcoal grill, or I can even go into the oven. 
Um, I don't have a pellet grill, but at the same time, the pellet grill has been awesome for that style of cooking because it can offer a slower to that and help a little bit of smoky fur on as well. But doing it that way, you're going to basically widen that bullseye when you're making a piece of steak. And I say bullseye as in uh, your desired uh, basically doneness of steak. If you want medium and you you go straight to the grill with it on a smaller piece, it's really hard to, to get that all medium all the way through. You end up with a, a well done and then it works its way to, yeah, well, uh, medium well, you know, and finally it works its way down to what your desired doneness was supposed to be. By going with uh, a larger cut of meat, you can help widen that bullseye so you get more of that desired medium that you were looking for or medium rare, whatever you're looking for at that point. Because uh, it's a bigger piece and it's going to take longer for that for stuff app that you can be on top of it. Personally, what I also like about keeping things big as well is it offers me versatility uh being up here in michigan um it does get cold so having a roast is a good thing uh, i can turn my oven on without having to torch my house up and feel it's you know, a window try and turn out from the kitchen um we we do a lot of braising uh either in a dutch oven or a crock pot or, or anything like that like pot roast is a a way of life up here because february <laughs> comes and man i talk you talk about dark days you need something warm you need something <laughs> uh fulfilling just to get you through uh that tough time but then it's the, but then if i decide hey i want to make jerky and i take that top round which has very long muscle uh, fibers, which uh, has large, I mean, not only long, but large muscle fibers. I cut that with the grain. I can end up with some amazing long pieces of jerky that when I, I bring that to place, people like, man, you throw jerky. But with those long pieces, I'm able to really enjoy what I get, and I get a high yield from that because I'm using that large muscle group. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely not going to waste, but what it does is it gives me versatility. So some things I want to keep whole, some things, hey, we only need to make some steaks from it. I pull out one piece of, of uh, a, large, you know, a large muscle group, say it be the bottom round, we're going to make Swiss steak. I can then pull that out, cut that into the individual steaks. Let's say I only need three or four. I can save the other section for something later in the week. I wouldn't necessarily refreeze it at that point, but hey, I can now diversify what I'm getting from one cut. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I was definitely that uh, throw it on the grill guy, get it super dry. And the other part of me, like, you know, there was also like a fear there of like, oh, this is wild game. And so I felt like, you know, I had to charred or burn it or cook it all the way through uh because like you know i was where i was like oh diseases and stuff like that so uh maybe maybe that might be a good thing for you to talk about like just for people's peace of mind like can you cook this stuff like you're saying medium and and maybe even medium rare or something like that yes for venison um there are there are parasites, there are ailments, there are things that we need to watch for uh, when we are processing our own or even to get information from the processor. I mean, we have a tuberculosis zone here in Michigan. We have a CWD zone in Michigan. 
that these are things that essentially we now have to live with whenever we end up taking an animal down. This is just the ugly nature of things um, that we have to to watch out for. Um, I mean, shoot, neighbors to the south of us in Ohio are dealing with a huge outbreak of EHD. I'm sure Oklahoma gets their bouts of that as well. Uh, but even on top of that, you do you have you have tapeworms, you've got uh, different ailments that that these animals do end up going through. One way that you can alleviate some of that without having to cook it necessarily on the back end uh, all the way through is that time in the freezer is going to kill the parasites. Now, let me let me back up to say, like I mentioned diseases and those any time in the freezer is not going to kill those things. You're not going to solve EHD, tuberculosis, or uh, CWD with time in the freezer. That is that is a non-consumable at that point. Shoot with CWD, you could throw it in an incinerator, and you're now you just gave the incinerator CWD basically because it's <laughs> you can't kill it. It's never going to die. Um, so, but those things. But then when we get to like stuff that's in the meat, say a parasite. Um, that's going to spend some time in uh, in the freezer. A week is going to do good. Week two weeks can do um, because we are eating meat from the wild. There's automatically a little bit of a risk. At the same time, I don't know when the last time wild game was recalled, much like meat <laughs> out of a processing plant mm-hmm. has been recalled. That yeah. there's a risk just consuming any sort of meat mm-hmm. um so handling it with a lot of care keeping things cl- keeping things clean and keeping things cold is going to be your best friend um up until the time that you get to cook um and i i do i take that to heart as well because i as, as i try to reach out as far as i can uh on the culinary side I'm going to do some adventuring. I'm going to do some things that offer a little bit of risk that do they, they get me really excited. Uh, I made venison tartare, literally a raw venison that I consumed with my wife and I, I wasn't feeding any of the boys. We're not going to worry about that right now. They would have <laughs> turned it down anyways, but there was a whole procedure that went with that. I froze it for a week. And then when I unthawed it, I kept it as cold as humanly possible. And then there's a whole procedure that as you're mixing up your aioli, there's a salt. I mean, you're salting this as you're going along with there's capers that are put in. So there's a sodium element that's not going to let uh, bacteria form uh, as you're basically making this and then consuming this. And at the same time, it's one of those, like you make it, you eat it. You don't, in the fridge and let it in the tub for three days and come to it. It's you no, know, it's this is a, an eat now and uh, don't eat later. Basically, <laughs> pitch it after after you're all done with it. And I mean that goes for for I guess any any meat that you're making. You gotta once you cook it up and once you start to consume it, you enjoy it. Enjoy it now because it does have a finite life. You can't live in the fridge for forever at that point because um, then you're going to deal with with a whole bunch of other stuff at that point as well. So yeah, with venison. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of risk, uh, but you can find ways like keeping it in your freezer for two weeks, you know, week, two weeks um, before you go after that. That can help alleviate some of that uh, angst when it comes to parasites. In your neck of the woods with wild with wild pigs, 
I mean, that's that's going to be a 165 thing. Mm-hmm. I If you bring everything up to 165, uh, that kills most parasites and most organisms that live inside of things. Uh, shoot, I mean, uh, the uh, trichinosis is what I'm thinking of specifically. That's the stuff that hogs, even in the uh, domestic realm, they they have just kind of done away with that in a lot of the larger plants and so they have dropped down at least i think it was the fda they dropped down the cooking uh temperature to 145 uh for pork and at the same time i mean that's relatively new i would still i would still cook those to 165 even domestically Mm -hmm. so yeah hogs bring them up you got to cook them all the way through nothing nothing you can do around it but at the same time they can still be delicious yeah and man, uh, I was talking about it a few weeks ago. I, I want to have you guys down and I want to let you uh, have your way with one of our hogs down here. I think that'd be awesome. But uh, I, I love that you mentioned it again because I was like, <laughs> pinch me, man. If, am I coming down to shoot hogs? Like that's one of those things like it, shoot. Like I see all the stories and everybody talks about all oh, these, these pigs are everywhere. And mm. I'm like, dude, you eat pork. You can eat pork for all forever. <laughs> like, why are we? Why are we not exterminating these things and then having the biggest barbecue ever? Like that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking at. Like, yeah, we're going to solve this issue with our stomachs. That that's what I'm, that's what I'm on. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so funny because I'm sure it goes both ways. Like I hear you like all excited about it. I'm like, dude, come take them. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, like, you know, I can't tell you how many that I've killed and just drug off just because we're trying to get rid of them. And I'm sure that makes you equally as frustrated. Uh, so yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll get it worked out. So, uh, perfect, I, perfect. <laughs> okay. we got a little bit of time here and I don't want to keep you too late, but, uh, one, I have to let you, you, uh, give the mayonnaise recipe <laughs> for all the oh, listeners. Yeah, yep. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we might just hit one or two kind of quick, um, you know, kind of like your favorite ways to repair stuff. Um, but yeah, hit, hit us with the mayonnaise recipe. So I'll give a little background for everybody listening again. This was a a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, let's, let's say you take your deer to the processor, which I'd say a lot of people down here, you know, the average hunter, they're going to shoot a deer. They're going to get it. They're going to take it to the processor and they're probably going to get back essentially three things. They're going to get back a bunch of burger. They're going to get back straight uh, steaks out of their back straps, and then they're going to get a package of tenderloins. So that's kind of what I want to focus on with these. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, let, let's hit it with the mayonnaise recipe. Sounds good. Sounds good. So yeah, John, have an open mind here because okay. <laughs> the mayonnaise is essentially oil and egg emulsified, like highly whipped up very vigorously. So it's got like, uh, some texture to it. And then yeah, we we've all seen mayonnaise where you, you can you spread on a sandwich or you put it on a burger or whatever, wherever you use condiments. And in those situations, we see that condiment get spread thick where you see the white, you see like yeah, it's just thick on there. But using mayonnaise as an agent to help create a sear on the outside of a steak is going to be where where I'm only applying a little, little bit of this. I use a silicone brush. Um, you could probably, uh, if somebody's got a paintbrush that they haven't used on paint yet, <laughs> um, but at the same time, adapt that, or even a barbecue brush, those are coming, becoming more, more common. But those silicone brushes, you can find those a lot of places too. 
And I'm literally just dipping the, the tips into that, pulling up just a little bit of mayonnaise, and I'm brushing it on to uh, that piece of steak. And I'm doing it specifically with venison because um, if you use oil, so that's that's been what people have done in the past. And when you spread oil onto it, that oil is going to come up to heat very quickly. It's going to basically uh, not not steer the outside, but burn the outside. Now, if you've on your on the outside of your steak, if you've salted it, well, I mean, you can't get rid of the saltiness because that's a that's a mineral. You can't burn that one, but very heavily dependent upon a an actual oil that you crack out of it is going to be your black pepper. You can scorch that and essentially undo black pepper. Uh, garlic, very finicky when it comes to ex- like releasing its flavor. It can be so good when it's been roasted, but it can be super bitter and tannin-like when you scorch garlic. So you hit that with oil on your seasonings, you throw that on the grill, you're immediately going to super high temp and you're going to scorch that. And so even though you've put pepper on there, you're not going to taste it. Um, At that same point, if we go to using these medallions or using this butterfly, it's going to help accelerate that, that temperature up very quickly. And that's going to then take your <laughs> take your little medallion and scorch it on the other side of it. And so, you know, you've gone to gray and we're back to the barbecue sauce and slathering that on top at the end. But what the mayonnaise does is it doesn't accelerate near as high. And so by brushing that on there and using that emulsified oil and uh, that yolk that's in from that egg there, that's actually going to brown. That's going to go through that Maillard reaction that we want to have happen that's that crispiness that we get either on toast or a fried egg or that desired crust that we get on a steak that's going to mimic that on our piece of venison so when i hit the blackstone when i hit the charcoal grill when i hit something that's offering direct heat it's going to go through that reaction first before it goes to the gray and before it goes too high and that, what that's going to do is just get me the crust that I'm looking for. So when I do serve it up, people see this amazing presentation. They're going to, their eyes automatically are like, mm, this is delicious. It's not those uh, feelings from a long ago where it's gray, it's rubbery. Like now we have a crust, we've got a crispiness. And then when I cut into it, I have red showing that it's going to be like, man, this is like, a legit steak this doesn't are you sure this is venison are you sure this is from a deer because every other deer i've seen is gray no no this is how venison was supposed to be done it's supposed to have a crispy outside it's supposed to have a red inside and that little bit of brushed on mayonnaise is going to get you to that point all right i believe you i believe you (laughs) when you when you go into all that detail it made a lot more sense and uh, it sounds a lot more appetizing so i'll believe you now yeah Uh, I, I, I got to ask this though. Do you, can you use that same trick or would you use that same trick on beef? Because beef has fat um, ingrained, has marbling already in there. You don't need to do that on beef. Mm-hmm. When I do a ribeye, man, I don't, I put the seasoning on there. I don't even oil it. Mm-hmm. I just have my, either it's on the grill or it's on a dry or a uh, dry cast iron you put that on there and all that beef tallow, all that beef 
integrated fat is going to render out and that's going to start doing your Maillard uh, reaction right there. It's built in. I mean, the, the beef process as far as that way has gone just perfect when it comes to to making those steaks. And uh, yeah, when, when my wife and I do steak night, when we're like, all right, it's beef, we're splurging, we're going prime. We're going, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting the good stuff. We're going to go get a ribeye. Um, she doesn't even like filet mignon it's less. It's not enough flavor for her. Like we go straight mm-hmm. for the premier cut mm-hmm. and having that ingrained fat, even in a lot, even a, you know, a sirloin, which is pretty lean, even on beef that's still going to be able to have that marbling that's going to be worked its way uh, out of there. So yeah, beef doesn't need it. And that's the beautiful thing about it. But when we treat the venison, like we do the beef, that's where we run into our complications. So yeah, you get a cattle guy that's trying to cook some venison, having a tough time. It's because, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's two different. Yeah. He's raising his hand already. John. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's, it's two different animals, John. I know, I know we got to go. Maybe we <laughs> we got to go back to uh, biology here for you. <laughs> But it's just to see that play out and to know, again, like, I got to treat this animal differently because it is differently. And those little tricks of like, hey, if I need a sear on something that is super lean, adding that little bit of maize too as well. (laughs) Even on my back straps, the longer pieces, once I go with a low, slow heat on those, I it's referred to as a, a reverse sear at this scent. So I cook the inside to my desired temperature. I then brush on that mayo on the outside, add my seasonings on, and if my lodge cast iron is just like ripping, I drop that and roll that around, and it just crispens up beautifully. Where if I did that without it, I would just basically yeah, char the snot out of it. And then at that point, it's not not any good for anybody. Maybe the dog. The dog would enjoy it. <laughs> gotcha. Man, I, I've, I've already learned so much. I wish I would have been taking notes of everything that I'd learned during this. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I definitely owe you a hog hunt now. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got one more quick one for you. Uh, my favorite, my, I think everybody's favorite, the tenderloins. Like, uh, like, I love a good backstrap. Everybody does. But I think people who really know deer, especially people who like do stuff themselves, they really know the tenderloins where it's at. So real quick here in these last couple of minutes, give us uh, your favorite tenderloin recipe. Oh man. Um, yeah, I'll just do a quick shout out. I, I can't, uh, have everybody do it, but if you, if you get the cojones and you want to totally impress somebody on a date night, you just want to blow them away, or you just want to have that, uh, upper epsilon of presentation, try the Tatar. And yes, you're going to be consuming raw venison at that point, but at the same time, there's a, there's a million videos that are out there on making it. If you follow it step-by-step, step, you're going to come up with something great. Um, but then again, that's like, that's something that's like way above level. Um, but for a, for a normal tenderloin, again, I, I go back to like this creature. It It's a piece of creation. It survives on its own. Like it's almost, it's almost perfection. So I'm not going to want to alter this thing very much. I'm going to peel that out. And as soon as I peel that out, it, it, you don't even need to age that specific piece of meat for very long. Shoot. It's almost one of those things. Like as soon as you put it down, I would get it out just to maintain that you having to scrape off any dried uh, flesh that would be on the outside of that, or get that um, little bit of cap, just, just pull them out, salt, pepper, 
garlic powder or even uh, minced up garlic. I would stick super easy. I would, or in super, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, unabrasive because I want to taste the venison. Uh, it's going to be super mild anyway. So it only needs those little bit of things or a little bit of spices on there just to get my, my palate rolling. And kind of like with that, it's even too small to go with a reverse sear. It's got to be just a forward sear on this. So you get, get it on the grill, maybe splash a little bit of the mayonnaise on there. If you really want that char, but it's literally seconds that I'm going to be putting that on there. 45 seconds on one side, 30 seconds on the other, pull that off and just enjoy the tenderloin for what it is. Don't, don't try to doctor up that piece of meat too much. Just enjoy it as a venison backs or excuse me venison tenderloin share it with someone you love someone close uh either it's a uh, you know your dad or your uh or your mom or even you know the spouse you know being able to sit and have a have a wrestling i find that pinot noir the perfect for venison and i tell you just a little glass of wine two back straps right there. That's the start of an amazing date night that could just go <laughs> everywhere that you want it to. So yeah, simple, straightforward, nothing super exciting, but at the mm-hmm. same time, that's because I'm letting the animal do the talk. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I realized I should have had my brother on here instead of me because he is <laughs> extremely adventurous when it comes to food. Uh, he, he was in the army. He lived in Germany and Italy and he, he did all the tartar and, and uh, the sausage in Poland and all that stuff. So I, I'm definitely the boring one uh, when it comes to food. But Oh, man, Nick, this has been great. Uh, real quick, before I let you go, I want to make sure uh, if people are listening to this and they've never heard of you, I want to want them to be able to find you. So uh, social media, podcast, give us everything. Where do people find you? Gotcha. I'm doing a lot of communication through Instagram right now. Um, I'm also on Go Wild, but my Instagram handle is at Huntivore. And on there, I'm trying to share real, I'm just basically sharing everything that I'm doing. So if I'm doing something with venison or I'm doing something um, with wild game specific, even if it's just something domestic that we can apply, I'm trying to throw it on a story. I'm trying to lay out what I'm doing. Um, I, I have really zero pride when it comes to uh, throwing out even the stuff that doesn't work. I'll make sure to let you know that my dog ate well because I had a recipe not go the way that I wanted it to. But I want us to all be able to use our stuff effectively, use our stuff to the the utmost um, potential that we can. So that's where I share a lot of my stuff right there is through through Instagram. Feel free to DM me. Um, I love questions. I love answering. And I love when people just send me pictures of what they're making. If you try something super awesome and it turns out, shoot it to me. I'd love to see it. I'd love to ask you some questions on that. Um, but yeah, at Go Wild is just at Nick Otto. Um, I've got, on, as far as the trophies go, I have a lot more of the, the food trophy pictures on there. I don't have a ton of like actual, like big noteworthy trophies, but shoot, I'm not a, I'm not a rat guy. I'm all about the meat. I guess that could be, uh, <laughs> that could be said other ways as well, but anyway, that's where I'm, where I'm at. Um, but then, yeah, I'm also part of sportsman's empire. I, uh, I guess I'm the food guy here. And so my, my podcast is bi-weekly right now. So every other week I, I put out a nice long podcast. Um, and I, I do, I just talk wild game. Currently it's been a lot on venison. Venison is king around us. Uh, but at the same time, busting and doing some more work with some waterfowl 
and trying to do some different things with with fish. Um, I know ice fishing is going to be coming up here soon after the holiday. Once we what's get that enough ice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's ice for you? <laughs> uh, anyway, but so. get a chance to just play with anything that we can chase. That's that's what the hunt of ore is all about. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah. For anybody listening, go check out my uh, Sportsman's Empire brother and the rest of the network. And uh, man, Nick, I appreciate this so much. Like I said, I, I learned a ton. And so I'm very, very excited to go try some of these things. So we still got about uh, what's today? Today's the uh, we got almost actually we have over a full month of season left. So got a few more does to put in the freezer. Uh, I'm going to take out all my frustration on the elk on their cousin the white-tailed deer and so i'm about to go get after him good deal yeah mm-hmm. hey if it's brown it's down i mean mm-hmm. shoot i wear that badge all the time like i know we talk about um we got some guys here on our nation who or excuse me on our empire that are just absolute big buck killers they know the strategy they know how to put things uh just in the right, just get all their pieces and ducks in a row and to have these massive animals come walking by them. Shoot. Even just the way that you handle your property, John, I just, I'm so impressed with the strategy that, that you use to that. And I try to glean as much of that information as I can, but there's a point of opportunity where I look at that thing and I'm like, Oh, I don't care if it doesn't, if it only got three points, that's going to taste good. (laughs) And it's here now and I'm going to make it happen. So yeah, I I'm getting better with my patience. I can let things walk, but when I start hearing that tick, that tight, that, uh, tick of the clock as season starts to wind down. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to start, I'm going to start li- or lowering my expectations here. A little bit. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. Well, Nick, I've taken up enough of your time. Like I said, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and we'll talk to you later. Another huge shout out to Nick. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. And and man, that like I said during the podcast, that was so educational. I learned so much through that conversation. So big shout out to Nick. Um, I got my baby girl sitting on my lap right now. Her mom is uh, off at a work event. And uh, so, yeah, she's ready to go to bed. I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, but again, guys, I know I say it every week, but thank you so much for following this show and supporting us. We got so much more content coming up. Uh, I'm going to get a voice back, I think. And uh, uh, I already got an awesome guest, I think, lined up for next week. So come back. We're only going to go up from here. So thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all the partners. And until next week, I will see you right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.